0: And one of, the, one of the lines I love in that song, several of them, but like a bride as I wait for Christ to return, and there will be justice, and, and what is right will finally be called right. I know what it's like, as, as we are all experiencing right now in our sort of culture, that um, you know, man on his own in his sinfulness, man comes to the conclusion that what God calls right is wrong, and what God calls wrong... It's called right. And one of the things that's just hitting us left and right is the the concept of marriage. And today I want to just highlight one more time uh, an amendment that we're adding to our Constitution pending um, congregational approval today is uh, this constitutional amendment. I want to say that we wrote our Constitution seven years ago. Um, It was a process. We could have just... Adopted one from another church. We didn't do that. We wanted to write our own. And at that point, we didn't really see the need to include the definition of marriage. It just seemed like something that, that wasn't necessary. My how things have changed in the last six and a half years. And so after today, we will include this statement in our Constitution. And what this will do is um, it just affirms, as a body of believers, what we already know to be true, and that is that God has defined marriage as is explained here in this paragraph. we believe that marriage is a holy institution established by God in creation, it is the center of a healthy society, should be held in the highest regard and considered a permanent bond between a husband and a wife. The scriptures define marriage as the exclusive covenantal union of one man and one woman in which the union is a lifetime commitment. A civil government sanction of a union will be recognized as a legitimate marriage by the church only to the extent that it is consistent with this definition of marriage, and only marriages that meet the biblical definition will be performed by center point. I do find it sad um, that we have to include this, but I want you to know, I am not without hope. I know and I fully believe that God is in control, and I believe that there is a very good chance for revival across our country, because those who don't believe this statement are right now consuming in their flesh what they're hoping will bring them some sort of fulfillment. But it doesn't. It doesn't. Because we were made by a Creator. And God made us in a certain way. And anything outside of that plan does not bring the fulfillment that God desires. So those who are filling up in their life things that oppose that truth, are going to come to the only rational conclusion that they can. And that's that this doesn't deliver. And at that point, I believe there could be a revival in the lives of those that we are around. So do not give up hope. I am full of hope of what Christ may do. But until then, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And we will be like a light in a a shining light in a dark room, a city on a hill. Now, I do want to encourage you, if you are a member of Center Point Bible Church, uh, we do constitutionally now, to make a change, we have to approve this by over half of our membership. So over at the blue table, there are some of these documents, okay? Just put your name on this so we know that you're a member and mark yes or no that you do approve of this amendment. Fold it, place it in the basket there, and um, we trust that that will be part of our constitution even next Sunday. We're well, moving into our time now in God's Word. i get got something out of closet here. I'll be back in just a minute, I promise you. Um, <clears throat> so Pastor Brock encouraged you to think of something that was special to you. Now we've been talking about the church of late. Thank you, Brock, for preaching last Sunday. And uh, again, thanks for your prayer. And um, we've been looking at the fact that... Go ahead and go to the next slide, please. We've been looking at the fact that the church means more than what we may think. And Brock asked you to think about something that was special to you. Well, I want to share something with, with you that is special to me. And I uh, just went to the back closet there and got it. And, and here it is. Now, it's kind of a distance away. You can't really see it. So, so I've helped you. And I, I took a picture of it and put it up on the screen. Now, the truth is, if you saw this at a yard sale or something like that, you know, it's probably worth about 25 cents, right? I mean, maybe you could scrape the paint off and, and reuse this for something. I don't know, but... Now, if you come into my office, there on the wall, there's a few things that are important to me. I've got a, I've got a picture that my wife gave me. I've got a puzzle that my daughter put together and made into a, a portrait for me. I've got, a, I've got an American flag that a friend of mine gave me who served in Afghanistan. And I've got this. Now, what this is, my mom painted this, see? And the amazing thing about this painting, as you can see, it's a, a little country church, okay? And, and, you know, I mean, it's good. It's not our best work. See, my mom painted this when she couldn't even speak. Well, my mom, my mom battled Alzheimer's. And she died June, two years ago. We're Coming up on the second year anniversary of her death. And for the last probably about four months of my mom's life, cancer finally took her. But for about the last four months of my mom's life, she was unable to speak. She didn't know my name. She didn't know her name. She didn't know her husband's name. But the amazing thing was, my mom was an artist. And she was able, there was something inside of her that she got this piece of stone and she painted this church scene for me. She, she couldn't have named me. She didn't know who I was. But yet she painted this as a gift for her son. Now, this isn't worth much. But I wouldn't accept $128 million for it. Right? Because there's only one of them. And it was made by somebody. It was very special to me. And I handle it carefully for fear that I might drop it and break it. See, it's special to me because of who made it. And because of what it cost her. And because I understand what it means. I understand what it meant to her. I understand when she made it, the effort that was put into it. The forethought. You see, she thought through that with her mind the best she was able. And she planned that out. And she had a, an, a, an idea of what she was going to do. And she made this, and I believe in her heart and in her mind, she thought of me as she painted it. We've been talking about the church and the fact that it means more than what we think. Jesus said this, When speaking of the church, when He was on the earth, before He went to the cross, He said, Peter, what you just said, that I am the Messiah, on that rock, I will build My church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so 2,000 years ago, God put together a body of believers, like this one. Some smaller, some larger. Some might look different than us. Some meeting in strange places, some meeting in places just like this. God for 2,000 years has had His church functioning and doing the things that He has called us to. And so what we have tried to do over the last five weeks is take words that we use all the time and help us understand that they mean more than what we think. For instance, the church. The church is God's people gathered together for God's purpose. So when you are alone at your house and you're there with your Bible and you're listening to praise music and you're worshiping God and you lift up your hands to God, I believe God is pleased. But that is not the church. That is not the church. The church comes from the word ekklesia. That's the Greek word. And it means a group of people called together. So you at your home or somewhere watching TV, as important as that may be, that is not the church. The church is when we gather together God's people in God's way for God's task. So there is something different about this. And I'm not saying that just because I happen to be the one standing up here. Last week, the very best person to speak truth into your life was Brock Kepley and he stood right here and he shared God's word and there's nobody in the planet for you who is better fit at that moment to speak into your heart than him and just a few just a few minutes ago down the hallway there were teachers teaching our children We could reach out to the farthest edges of the world and find the very best teacher in all the world and truck them here. But they don't hold a candle to the one that God has placed in that position at that time to communicate God's Word. Because there's something unique about this. You're not here by chance. You're not here because you happen to like this room or like somebody in the room or like the music or not like the music somewhere else. That's not why you're here. You are here in God's foreordained plan. Before the foundations of the earth, God worked this out. So you're here for a reason. We come together, we worship. We come together, we fellowship. We talk about these things. We serve one another. We grow, mature together. This is the church. Now, share with you one more slide, please. I share with you that people have some wrong ideas about the church. And we've talked about some of these things. Some people view the church like it's a concert, right? And that's the idea that I come here because I want to leave, rip, roar, and ready to roll. That's why I come here. And so if I have the view of a concert, like, like I come here because I just want to feel charged up and ready to run, well, what if we come together and what we share is that we're struggling and we're suffering? Are you going to feel like ready to run at that point? Are you going to think you're at a concert? Maybe not. So there's many things about the church that are kind of like a concert, I guess. We sing and so forth. Okay, there's music, maybe. But it's not a concert. Some people view it almost like it's a store, and I, I come here to kind of get something that, that I need. Okay, and, and when, as you walk out the door, and you, you, know, you, you greet somebody as you leave, and, and they say, well, how was church? And you might say, I really got something out of that. Or you might say, well, you know, I really didn't get anything out of it. Listen, that's what you say when you leave Walmart. That's not what you you say when you leave here. When you leave here, the question is, what did you give? What did you give? And I'm not talking about just your money. I'm talking about more than that, your life. What did I give? Did I give myself away? That's the church. You might view it like a hospital. A lot of people view it this way. And this is how this looks. You know, when things are going bad, okay, you know, I got, I got a limp or I got a sore arm or whatever, I've got a rocky marriage, then I'll start coming to church, okay, and then once things get fixed, okay, I'm ready to roll now, see you in six months, right, that's not the church either, because here we come and God does heal us spiritually, physically, emotionally, but then he calls us to show that to others as well. Pastor Brock last week talked about the church is not like a TV. It's changing channel. or something else you want to see. I don't really like listening to that guy click. I don't like that music click. You switch around. No. Well, today what I want to look at is the church is not like a club. It's not like a club. American Express says membership has its privileges. And you know, people might even say that about the church. But here's the thing about the church. The church is the only organization that is designed, that is designed for its primary purpose, to reach people who are outside. Think about this. There's only one thing that I know of that as believers we can do better now than when we're in heaven. If we are left here as a church to worship, you will do that better in heaven. If we are here waiting for Jesus to come back because we're supposed to get all kinds of knowledge, okay, and have great big heads and know all these facts, you will do that better in heaven. You will serve Christ better in heaven. We will fellowship better in heaven. Heaven holds more opportunity for much of what we believe we are called to as believers except for one thing. There is only one thing that we can do better here than in heaven. And it is the reason why we are waiting for Jesus to come back. And you know what that thing is. I don't have to tell you, but I'm going to. The thing that we can do better here that we cannot do in heaven is reach people with the gospel. There will be no evangelism in heaven. Never. Because it's appointed man once to die. And then, the judgment. So once Jesus has come back, even so come, once he comes back, that's it. That's it. So what are we going to do with that fact. Open up your Bible with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. I'm very excited next week to uh, start into a study of Genesis 1-11. through Thanks for plugging that for us, Pastor Brock. I'm very excited about that. Um, I look forward to us studying through that together. I'm not going to give you much preview. have to come next week. What we've been doing here of late has been bouncing around a little bit. Today we're landing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 wonderful passage of Scripture. And I believe God will speak to us through it. Let's read verses 16 through the end of the chapter. In chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, it says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Paul is writing this to a church in the city of Corinth. He says, "...for now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh." Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians, this is in many ways Paul's most personal letter. Paul here is writing to a church that he was very influential in its growth. And what has happened now is many of them are turning against him. And Paul now is speaking to them as a father to his son. And he calls them back to truth. And the thing that that strikes me, I've read through the book of 2 Corinthians multiple times this last week, just to try to get the flavor of this book. And one of the things that strikes me about this is Paul now is pleading from his heart to his church. He loves them with the compassion that only Christ gives. And he wants the very best for them. That's what it means to love someone. It's to want what God wants for them. And so there are expressions that he uses through this book of 2 Corinthians. I want to read them to you briefly so you can get the flavor of what Paul is saying here. Let me just say, the reason why I think this is so important is because most of us, I know, I've been in the seat we're in right now, and most of us, when we are urged to do something, especially as scary as evangelism, reaching out to people, most of us, what we think is, I've heard this before, I've always failed in the past, I can't do this, I don't trust that this is best, I've tried this before and i dropped the ball and I don't want to feel that again. I want you to know that that is not of God. That is not of God. Listen to the heart of the Spirit of God as He entreats you, as He calls to you to obey Him. Listen to what Paul says. He writes, and this is all through the the book. I'm not going to read all the verses, but he says, Paul writes, I wanted to come to you. He said, I'm writing with anguish of heart, with many tears. He says, my heart is wide open to you. He appeals that they would make room in their hearts for Him. He says He has complete confidence in them. He says that He loves them. God knows that He does. He says He was most gladly spent for their souls. Paul here loves those that are receiving this letter. And I want to echo to you the same sentiment. It's this. If you are living a self-focused life, if your eyes are only turned inward to you and your four and no more, I want you to know that you are not living out the fullness of life that Jesus has promised you. The thief comes to kill and to destroy and to steal. But Jesus says, I have come. To give you life. Life to the full. Open up your heart now to what God calls us to in this passage. Because God is a reconciler. That's my first point. God is the reconciler. Now what does it mean to reconcile? It means to bring two parties together to friendship, to fellowship. And God is the reconciler. Now you need to know that every time man invents a God, he's not a reconciler. When man invents a God, he lands somewhere between this hostile, like, ogre who hates men all the way over to a God that's completely indifferent and just doesn't really care about man. For instance, in the Islam world, God is not a reconciler. He is not a reconciler. He's doing nothing to reconcile man to himself. Man is called over here to the hostile God who wants only you to obey His will. And Allah does nothing to reconcile man with God. But God is be reconciler and we can go on across this path we can even land here at the god that the jews created and invented because they invented a whole new god when they had this religion of judaism that was not old testament believers and their god was only a law giver he gave a law and they had to try to follow it and they would fail of course this was not what god called to do, but it's what they created you go all over here to the Hindu God. The Hindu gods are completely indifferent from man. They don't care about man. And man's attempt at having some kind of relationship is to appease that Hindu god through sacrifices and through offerings and, and through just different things. It's crazy the things they come up with to try to appease or to entreat this indifferent god. God of the Bible The Lord God, the Creator, is the Reconciler. He comes to us to reconcile with us. See that through this passage. Look at it with me. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. God did this. God reconciled us to Him through Christ. Go to verse 19. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. God is the reconciler. Jump down to verse number 20. God making his appeal through us be reconciled to God. God is the reconciler. He wants reconciliation with his creation. But what this passage shows is that reconciliation is dependent upon a few things. Firstly, reconciliation only will happen and is only found in His forgiveness. This is essential. It is essential to understand that to be reconciled with God must start with His forgiveness. See this in the passage. Look at verse number 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Forgiveness is the greatest need of the human heart. It's the greatest need that man has. Is the forgiveness of God. You say, why is it so great? Well, two reasons, at least, that I want to give you. One is this. Without it, without the forgiveness of God, we are permanently Separated from God in hell. Forgiveness is the greatest need of man. It's not what a politician can provide. It's not what a government can provide. It's not what you can provide. It's what God can provide. Forgiveness is the greatest need. Because without it, we have a Christless eternity in hell. And secondly is this. And this is where we started my time is without forgiveness, we then lead a life that is void of what we were designed to have. And so many of those who are running away from God are experiencing in their body the consequences of sin and a lack of forgiveness. I am burdened more and more and more as I see all around me the pain that people are bringing into their lives because they're trying to live a life without reconciliation with God. We, God is calling to us. Be reconciled. Forgiveness is dependent upon God. And it's the only place we find reconciliation. And it's only found in His substitution. Now see this in our passage. Look at verse number 21. For our sake... He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, here's the truth. The only way to reconcile the God is to be forgiven. But bear with me as I explain this. But the eternal God of the universe had a problem. Now, I know I'm, I'm being, you know, this is, this is partly jest, okay? So, but follow with me. God had a problem. He wanted to reconcile with us. But, and we were sinful. Trespasses against Him. But if God just simply forgot those, if God just looked past them, if God just said, I won't look at that sin... Then immediately, as soon as God does that, he's no longer God. If God just looks past sin, he cannot be God. Me, as a human, I can just look past sin. You can run me off the road and I can be like, oh, well, you silly bad driver, see you later, and look past it. Now, I probably wouldn't do that, but as a human, I could maybe do that. Because I am, it is possible for me to violate my own character and just look past that. But the moment that God just looks past our sin, He's no longer God. Because He is not just at that point. Now follow me. Follow me. You like to think of yourself. And you like to think, come on God, can't you just sort of look past that sin? Okay, let's go to another arena. Go to an evil person who does evil to somebody else. Abuses someone. Abuses someone who's weak and defenseless. In their power, they abuse somebody who has no capability of defending themselves. Now, how do you feel about a God that just looks... Past that you say that's not a God that's an evil person and you are right so God has somewhat of a quandary here in order to reconcile with us forgiveness must be given but in order for forgiveness for forgiveness to be given sin must be punished So Romans 3 says this. God does a wonderful miracle. Let me read it to you. Justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, God put forward His Son as a propitiation by His blood. It was to show His righteousness at the present time. Now here comes the important line. So that, Romans 3, 26... He, being God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's what this means. In 21 of chapter 5, it says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Here's what this means. At that moment on the cross, God took every sin that you ever committed. He took every sin that you ever conceived of. He took every sin that we ever could even come up with and He placed it on His Son. And He punished His Son in our place. And when you receive Christ for your forgiveness, every righteous thing that Jesus ever did, every righteous thing that Jesus ever is, any righteousness that Jesus has he placed on you so now when god sees you he sees the righteousness of his son so he can be reconciled with you and you see your sin you see it there before you you see the sin of mankind you see the abuse that men have done to one another and you say god how can this be how can this be and God says, I know I'm broken over. It's why I punished my son to reconcile the world to me. God is the reconciler. Oh, what great truth. Paul, in his heart here, wanted to express this truth. So over and over, I won't take the time to read them to you, but I just wrote them down this morning. I want you to hear all the times that Paul talks about this substitution. He says it in 4.11 and 514 and 515 and 529 and 8.9 and 12.3 and 13.4. Over and over and over, Paul says Christ on the cross is your sin. You in Christ is Christ's righteousness. Be reconciled to God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's very important we get this right. It's very important we get this right. You know why? Because of the next point. We are his ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is. It's a representative of a country who goes to a foreign land, okay, and represents his king, his leader. His president, his government, whatever it may be. We understand the ambassadors, and the, the readers of this original letter would have understood it as well. There were ambassadors at that time, just like there are ambassadors today. The ambassador, the, the, their title, the only reason why they have any importance is because they represent this other government, this king that they come representing. The only voice that they have, now listen to this, The only voice that an ambassador has is the voice of his king. Right? The ambassador doesn't really have anything to offer on his own. All he's doing is representing the king. So he speaks on behalf of the king. His only dignity is that he represents the king. That's all the dignity he has. His message is only what the king sends him to take. He can't offer anything that the king doesn't offer. As an ambassador, I can't come to you and say, Hey, I'm going to sweeten up the deal for you. Because I have no authority to do that. That's the role of an ambassador. He is bringing what the king has supplied to a foreign group. And his mandate is to do just that. An ambassador that doesn't represent, speak for, bring the dignity, bring the message. The ambassador that does not follow that mandate is worthless. It's worthless. And when the king comes along and sees that the mandate has not been received, the ambassador is fired. Now let's read what the passage says. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ that way. In other words, we don't look at people as just people. We don't see people and just think, oh, what's wrong with them? Oh, look how they're living. Oh, they disgust me. No. We see people as God's creatures, as God's created man and woman. And we, we, we used to regard Christ that way. Before you were in Jesus, you thought he was just kind of stupid idea. What is this? But now we regard people differently. Verse 17 through 19, we're a new creature. The old have passed away. The new has come. We have a new identity. We're a brand new creature now. And all this is from God. Through Christ, He reconciled us to Himself and gave us this ministry. And that's the next thing. We've got a new ministry now. When you came to Christ, you not only got a new identity, that's definitely true, you also got a new perspective on life and on people, you're given a new ministry now, and it's a ministry of reconciliation. Now, that does not mean, that does not mean that I'm here trying to make people friends. Oh, come together. Oh, you're a nice pair, you'll be no, that's not it. The reconciliation that I'm calling them to is in verse 19. That is, this ministry of reconciliation in verse 18, that in Christ God is reconciling the world to himself. That's the mandate. What a privilege this is—that we are given the privilege of bringing this message of forgiveness to people. I guess past ability to work his way on up here. I want to tell you something that happened to me just recently. My son and I were pumping gas at Sheets, and this woman calls over to us and says, "Excuse me, um, could you think you could get me some gas?" I don't have any money. Happens to you too, right? And you're like, oh boy, what is this? So we pumped her some gas, and away she went. Before she left, though, I said, hey, uh, I want you to know, the money I just gave you, is not my money. I said, I don't really have any money. She kind of laughed at, oh, I don't either. I said, no, you don't understand. All my money is God's. And so I just gave you 25 of dollars, 25 of God's dollars. Oh, thank you, she said. I said, Well, here's the thing. Do you have a church that you're part of? I said, Because if I ran out of gas, I'd call somebody from my church and I'd say, I need help. Can you give me $25 for gas? I said, But you just had to ask a stranger and I'll help you. But God's plan is to be part of a body. I talked to her about our church. And I told her where we, met, where we meet, but I think she forgot about it. And then my wife and I went down the road. We stopped at Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, time for the donut fix, right? I are talking to the lady at the front counter. One thing led to another. Started sharing her life with me. And I said, "Hey, do you have a church you're part of?" "No, not really." So let me tell you about a church that I know. I told her about Centerpoint Bible Church. Said it meets at Spring Mills Middle School. You know what that is? No, not really. I tried. I tried. A third time. Same, thing, th- same kind of thing happened on that, that very day. Three different times, I was able to just to point people a little bit. Point them a little bit. Now, in that respect, I know it wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't finish the task, okay? But I was an ambassador. But the thing that struck me is, I had nothing to give her. So I told Pastor Billy about that. I said, I need your help, buddy. And so Pastor Billy came up with a plan, okay? <laughs> Take a few minutes here and share it with this Pastor Billy.
1: I'll be brief. But it really is interesting how it flows right in. It flows right in with It flows right, right in with Second Corinthians five. Uh, Pastor Lowell knows that Second Corinthians five is is one of my one of my key passages that I always think of in my mind, and really, I go to Second Corinthians five verse fourteen. If you can look at that, if you have your Bible still open, uh, you'll see that uh, that this word is uh, or this this verse is very close to me, and it says this simply this: for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced. Now, earlier in the passage, it says we are always confident. We, uh, we live by faith. We are confident again. So we make it our goal to please him. In verse 9, um, we are not trying to commend ourselves. Verse 12. And then it comes down, for Christ's love compels us. Now, Pastor Lowell is referencing a card that, uh, that we had made up. I think they and got one when they came did in. Everyone receive? Did everyone, get, did everyone get a card, one of these cards? Give me okay. a yes. Yes. Oh. No. Yes. No. No. Yes. No. Ness. Ness. Yo. Um, did. Well, they're around here. They're around here. And here's our here's our plan. You mind if I share the plan? I want you. To share okay. The plan. Okay. Here's the plan. Take his card. And I, I have on my phone. I got this little case at five five below, and inside of it's got these little tiny uh, slots and stuff to put cards. And I stick the and I've stuck these cards in my in my little phone case because I always keep my phone with me. And then if ever it comes up, I can give this card out to somebody. And my job, my job is not to convince people. It says here, I am convinced. I am confident. My job is not to force someone to be convinced. My job is just to give people the truth and let the Lord convince them. Let the Lord bring it. Let the Lord. Why don't, maybe I could be, have a ministry of reconciliation to bring man to God. I, I really, my part is minimal. I just point people to the truth. And my job is not to convince. My job is to say, this is the truth. Bye. You know, this is the truth. Here you go. You know, if you want, any, if you want to know more, come and see. And that's why we have these cards. And very simple. Uh, Center Point Bible Church, meeting at Spring Mills Middle School. Worship beginning at 1045 a.m. Pointing others to Jesus Christ's word. In our website. Now, That's let me say is. this.
0: We don't want you to just, this isn't the idea, okay? It's not, very you know, true. drop them from planes or anything <laughs> like that, okay? The idea is that you interact with people. And I hope it's not just, you know, here you go. I hope that you talk to the person about how you're convinced of who Jesus is. Again, you don't have to convince them. Yeah. Tell them how you are convinced so bring the gospel into the conversation. And I just really wanted to have something that I could hand them and say, be great to see you come out of church. Not that church saves people, but we will point them to Jesus Christ.
1: So, and, and the back of it is blank for you to possibly write a personal note to them or something. And I've done this many times uh, with other cards. And just write something down, either my name or, uh, you know, a better opportunity to know exactly where, where we meet. But uh, it is, this isn't the cure, this is a tool to point them to the cure. Uh, so this is just something that we can have. And again, I agree. Don't just throw it out. Use this as something very special, very, very poignant, very purposeful in what we're doing. And uh, because we exist to point people to Jesus Christ and his word. And where better to hear it than in a group of our family members. We can love on people that are coming in and, and, and hopefully uh, point them to Jesus.
0: I want us to sing one more song. I'll let you get ready for that. And I just want to pray that God gives us opportunities. All right? Let's pray together as a body. Why don't you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we, uh, we know that your spirit reigns in us. We are your ambassadors. But much more important than that, you are the reconciler. Thank you, Lord, for reconciling us to yourself. Thank you for taking our place at the cross. Thank you for giving us life. Now, Lord, I pray that we would leave here as your ambassadors, that we proclaim your message, that we point people to you, and that, Lord, you would give us guidance and direction. Father, we thank you that you've allowed us to see that you mean more than what most of the world thinks. So we want to worship you now, in spirit and in truth, in Jesus' name.